Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Will it be hard to move back to your home? No, that's home. The question is, would, will I have done something in the three years that have enhanced, Amer- in this case, America's relationship with Japan and America's security, and uh, our work is not done? Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former Chicago mayor turned ambassador to Japan, Rahm Emanuel. Welcome back, sir. How have you been? I'm good, Fran. How are you? I'm doing well. What brings you back home? Are you here to visit mom? Well, I did see her. Uh, I saw my mother. There's no way I can get to within the lower 48 and not see her. If she found out, it could be the end of me. And then I... uh, uh, they, so that was number one, see her. And then um, I also uh, got a chance to run away and see uh, the Joffrey's closing show of the Frankenstein, which was spectacular. What uh, happens and, when you come into the United States? Does your mother's antenna go up if you dare some, to so not I, visit her? I, I, my guess is somehow Jewish mothers have a connection to TSA. So as soon as she knows I'm, I'm within... <laughs> The boundaries or cut or customs. Somehow she no. I I let her know beforehand that I was coming, and it's it's good to catch up with her. We used to do it every Sunday, and you know she's about to celebrate uh, her ninetieth birthday. Wow, my mom is ninety two yeah. and still going strong. Before we mm-hmm. talk about your extraordinary transition to diplomatic life, sir, I'd like to get <laughs> your unique perspective on the war between Israel and Hamas that followed the surprise attack on Israel that was the worst loss of Jewish life since mm-hmm. the Holocaust. How could a country that prides itself on its Iron Dome and its ex- extraordinary intelligence network have been blindsided by such a deadly attack? Well, two and uh, there's two answers. One is it's embedded in the question because you're shocked as everybody is shocked that a country that over 70 plus years of existence um, through many wars and many terrorist attacks has, and it's a well-earned uh, security, uh, reputation for security apparatus could be blindsided. Um, I don't kind of, everybody's uses the Yom Kippur War 73 as a metaphor and a, a, a kind of a push-off point, a lot, you know, intelligence failure, which I don't agree with because Israel's leaders then got warned it was a political failure, not an intelligence failure. Here, something I don't know. Well, I, I, and then the second part of it is, we're gonna that that question. The answer to that question, I don't know. And people are going to be scratching their heads for a long time to un, uncover whether they saw things but didn't connect them. They didn't see things. They had a blind faith in their technological superior and technological superiority as well as human intelligence. I I don't have the answer and. 
the unnecessary loss of life uh, on both sides uh, in this effort is um, horrific. So the short answer is, uh, if anybody says they know the answer, uh, I'd be open to hearing it. I think a lot of people, including the people responsible for uh, security, which is why they've been so forthcoming to the Israeli public and saying they're sorry, they failed. And that's a level of accountability that will also come out. I don't know. I mean, it's shocking. Do you expect Benjamin Netanyahu to pay a political price for being the guy at the top when this all came down? Ultimately, not now, yeah, I, maybe. Look, I mean, I, Fran, I, I'm a U.S. ambassador to Japan. Uh, I have to, so I have a government uh, role. That said, you got to look at history and uh, in, in Israel, and it's pretty clear how the public reacts when the basic fun fundamentals, given the formation of the state of Israel going back to 48 uh, and forward, when it comes to uh, protecting Israel, it's a sin qua non. It's like, that's where your measurement gets. So I'm not gonna judge how they'll come down, but uh, uh, that's different. And I don't wanna be in the role as an ambassador judging that, but as a reader of history, it's not in doubt how the public reacts. And that's all I'll say. Your father served in the uh, Zionist militia your first and middle names are Hebrew. You attended Jewish day school as a child. You volunteered for a week as a civilian on an Israeli army base. Do you still have relatives in Israel? And if so, what have they told you? Uh, well, we have a, uh, a cousin still in Israel. Uh, the number one, um, he is safe. Number two, he's too old to be in the reserve. And the country is uh, in, you know, what you read in shock and disbelief, on the other hand, uh, preparing uh, to establish its, its security deterrence. Were you surprised that Hamas released the mother and daughter from Evanston? Uh, why do you think they chose those two and what about the rest of the uh, hostages? You know, Fran, I mean, it's, I, it's a good question. I'm, I don't have the intelligence on it. I don't have the background on it. Uh, I could guess at it and I'm on uh, situations like this. Uh, I'm not going to guess because uh, I, I don't want to delve into that. I, I, I don't know. Uh, the last person that you should ask about Hamas's motivation is me. So I don't know why they did it. Uh, I have some uh, feelings about why they did it, and uh, Americans, etc., a mother and a daughter, but it would be just um, a hunch. And uh, trust me, the last person Hamas can tell not the last person, but you're not going to tell me why they did it and why the motivation is. But I'm glad. What is your hunch, Aiden? What's your I'm hunch? Not I'm not going there, Fran. You're not going. Uh, okay. No, President Biden did take a big risk going there. He came back home, made a hundred billion dollar request for aid to the Ukraine and Israel, tying the two conflicts together. And yet, nothing can happen in Congress until there is a speaker. How does mm -hmm. that deadlock end? Well, I mean, nobody has been in this situation. Um, and the Republicans uh, in Congress have to make a decision and they have a responsibility that comes with being in the majority. And so, I mean, anybody tells you how this is going to end, I, you know, I don't see the, I don't think anybody saw the challenge to McCarthy succeeding. I don't think anybody saw the challenge 
just Scalise or the lack of unity behind him. I don't think anybody saw this challenge. So, I mean, nobody's been, I've been in, both through my time with President Obama, President Clinton, and then a member of Congress, and then in the leadership as fourth ranking caucus trip. Nobody's been down this road. Uh, and so, it, but it does tell you, uh, I mean, this is different. And, uh, and also, um, the lack of unity uh, within their caucus to not only come around, I mean, build a consensus around a nominee. I mean, when you look at what happened to uh, Speaker McCarthy, it was from the very, very, very far right. And when you look at the resistance to Jordan, it comes from the more centrist and it's the bouncing back and forth and there doesn't seem to be the personality. So I don't, I don't know how this, uh, but you know, that's one take that they can't find that. And everybody obviously hopes they will find some way to um, come around a case so the work of the public gets done. The second thing is, uh, you know, former Secretary of Defense, Bob Gates, who was Secretary of Defense for President Obama, as well as for uh, President Bush, wrote a piece in Foreign Affairs the other day on being a dysfunctional superpower. It came out before this happened. It was kind of prescient. A lot of people saw it and you have a, a political, you know, this is the world relies on America, which the president is 100% right as kind of a guarantor of some sense of order. And you can't have behind that, behind the lines, this level of disorder if you're going to project and be responsible and accountable for ensuring that the world doesn't spin off its axis. And, yeah. uh, and I just, you know, let me go, let me then try to relate this, you know, that what I do, which is when we were at Camp David, when President Biden brought together in a historic meeting, the president of uh, South Korea and the prime minister of Japan in what became known as the, this summer that became known as the Camp David principles. And it's trilateral. And just the other day, friend, in a historic first, the United States flying a B-52, there was a Japanese fighter jet and a Korean fighter jet on either side of the wings, an expression of what that new trilateral uh, coordination and cooperation looks like. And it has a level of deterrence. And the reason President Yoon, one of the reasons, not the only, that President Yoon and Prime Minister Kishida went farther, stretched beyond comfort zones to come to that agreement is because of the essential leadership of the United States under President Biden. And it goes beyond his tenure. It's because of the United States. And to not have the ability to move assistance to Ukraine and, and Israel in their time and need that also express our values and interests is not about a battlefield problem. It's about the functioning problem of our democracy as it relates to uh, what's happening in the Republican congressional wing. And that's, uh, we have, you know, we have a responsibility and we, uh, and we, and with that responsibility comes benefits, but it also comes obligations and we got to meet them. That's what leadership's it's, about. 
The city you once led is confronting a migrant crisis that has divided the city. An alderman was literally attacked last week when she arrived at the site that Mayor Johnson is considering Wait, to build one of the winterized oh, tent oh. cities, base camps. Mm -hmm. um, if you were the mayor of Chicago, would you build winterized base camp tent cities to get people off the floors of police stations in O'Hare and Midway? What would you do to solve this incredible crisis that the mayor is only devoted $150 million in his budget for next year, even though he, the city is spending twice as much as that? Uh, Fran, I'm not, I, you know my rules. I don't, uh, I wish the mayor and the city best of luck into the future. I have thought I'm, I can't touch this for uh, because it also touches uh, national politics and stuff. I can't do that as a uh, uh, as the ambassador to Japan. I have thoughts about it of the different ways. I think the president's decision the other day, uh, as it relates to people from Venezuela and giving them work permits, I think that there is a path that was a very good decision. It obviously impacts some of the immigrants in Chicago, but not all of them. And so um, I think that path of um, uh, what the president did, I think it's about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, on the immigrants or migrants rather, who came from uh, Venezuela, getting them work permits so they could become productive residents in the United States is uh, a, a real significant step forward. Are you worried that this migrant crisis, if it portrays a very chaotic and overrun Chicago host city for the convention, might hurt Biden's reelection chances? Well, I'm, I'm, I start more, that's a fair question from a political standpoint, but I start more from, look, we have a, cha a massive challenge on immigration and refugees. And we have to, we keep trying to fix a particular manifestation of that challenge. We have to deal with it from a, the border to the workplace, to families, we, to H-1B wor uh, workers uh, that are tech workers. So you, in a certain sense, we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that the system is fundamentally broken rather than to address it. You're, you're asking the question, what does it look like from the convention? Not an unfair question, but that's only a piece of it. Uh, and we're going to have to deal with that. And, you know, when we faced crises on the healthcare system, on the financial system, on the auto industry, in the end of the day, when it came to that crisis and breaking point, we addressed it. This is an example of that, which is, goes back to President Biden on day one of his administration, or very early, in the very early days, introduced a comprehensive immigration bill. President Bush passed one under his tenure in the Senate, not in the House. That's also true. Uh, during uh, President Obama's years, there was also progress on it. So we're going to have to bear down. It has a lot of political uh, challenges, but that's the way you're going to have to deal with it. Since March 2022, you've been the ambassador to Japan. Normally, diplomats are like children I mean, in I, the old I, days. I don't, I, I don't want to say this, but I got confirmed in December 21 and arrived January 2022. Okay. Not, in not any, to be. In, all right. Be, don't. Be, all right. Go ahead and correct me. I, I don't. <laughs> not, care. To, not to do a fact check right now on my. No ego involved here, 
Uh, but anyway, <laughs> diplomats are normally like children in the old days. They've, they're seen and not heard. And yet you have really shaken things up. You've been at the forefront of multilateral agreements. You've pushed for the allies to stop Chinese economic incursion. You've pushed the Japanese to legalize same-sex marriage. Why did you have the temerity to pressure Japan to legalize gay marriage? And what was the reaction there? And what was the reaction yeah. here at home at the White House? Well, first of all, three things. One is I didn't pressure them. The public in Japan pressured them. And not pressured them, but I mean, at first, what they said, it was not the issue. Let me back up. One, it wasn't legalized marriage. That's working its way through the courts. It was more kind of an equity and justice issue in a sense of uh, it was in both education as well as you can't really be legally have any consequences for being gay, lesbian, or whatever your gender identity is. They had been working on this issue. It failed about five years earlier. Uh, since I arrived, I participated in the Gay Pride Parade in Tokyo. Amy and I have done that. We did it this time, and each time at those events, members of the diplomatic corps this year, 21 of us spoke up on behalf of it. Third, the president has made, and probably it should be number one, made advocating for gay and lesbians across the globe, especially where they're being prosecuted or other advances, a priority of our foreign policy. I was, as the U.S. ambassador, speaking up for not only a principle the president advocated, but where he also created an office in the State Department. Now, did I do it with a little bit of ROM flair? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, you made a video that got 8 million views or something on social media. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, I, what we organized members of the, uh, across the globe, different parts of the continent, who all spoke up on behalf of uh, equity and inclusion. Now, we did do that. And in the end of the day, I want to be clear that the public in Japan was the biggest voice, the uh, un, you know, the clearest voice about a new generation in their society. And the diet members, that is their parliament, responded to it. And it did succeed. And it created a momentum because there's already been two of the three cases going through the court system on kind of marriage equality. And I advocated a principle the president outlined at it, and you know this friend him calling me now look i have been doing this my whole life going back to when i was mayor when we did uh, one of the first things i did as mayor in the first six months was partner benefits for city employees then we changed the law uh advocating here in illinois helping get votes for marriage equality i go back to my tenure with uh, president obama where we signed the executive order worked on it so partners could be in hospitals next to their loved ones, regardless of their sexual or uh, marital status. So it's part of personally for me, a personal issue. It's part, but more importantly, in my role, I'm advocating an established policy and principle that the president established. I did it with uh, some emphasis, put some volume behind it. And the good news is the legislation, like uh, five years earlier, passed this time. Um, and it's still, I mean, I think there was a story, uh, um, I'm on the road, but I saw it uh, in the uh, clip service. There's a case where you can't, I think, uh, it's working its way through in Japan right now in real time, 
about either outing uh, somebody as gay and lesbian at their workplace. So Japan, unlike the United States, which is somewhat on certain issues 10, 15 years ahead, Japan's working through the issues like we did. And we continue to work on as a country. And, you know, I get back to one basic principle about not only inclusion, but also in the 21st century, you don't have a person to waste. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you also use social media to make taunting tweets, floating rumors about the disappearance of the China foreign minister. Um, what, you what, mentioned, you said President Xi's cabinet lineup is now resembling Agatha Christie's novel, and then there were none. Did that get you uh, slapped down a little bit at the <laughs> White House, well, or do, or was that no, a good cop, I'm, bad cop thing I, where you were the, you were, you were chiding well, first them of all, knowing? Let's, here, 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 I want to establish one fact. One is, the, for, the defense minister is gone. He hasn't been seen in two, three months. Set, I, you know, China said that our armed forces were responsible for the fires in Maui. False. China said that our armed forces started COVID and responsible for COVID. False. China said that uh, both Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia aren't real countries. That's false. The defense minister, I said, was missing. That is true. He is missing. He's still missing. Nobody knows where he is. And that's a, that's, a fact. I pointed it out because it comes on the heels of a foreign minister made. And then I'd like to just draw one. In the same period of time that the foreign minister and the defense minister in China went missing, Prime Minister Kishida in Japan, in a change in his cabinet, appointed a new foreign minister and defense minister. These are outwardly facing offices. It's not like the environmental or Department of Agriculture. And he announced it and is fully public. Now, China, unlike Japan, is in possession of hundreds of nuclear weapons. The defense minister is responsible, went missing. And said it, and I think they have a responsibility as a superpower, very uh, important country, to be, especially given the quantity of nuclear weapons, to be transparent with the, uh, the world in these positions that have real consequences. And I, How I think- How alarmed goes, should we be about the alliance between Russia and China and the meetings going that were going on last week to bring them closer? Well, you also have reports, as you've probably seen, Fred, of uh, President Xi is gonna come, it's not confirmed yet, but come to San Francisco in November for a meeting with the president. Look, there's a real challenge here about uh, a China and Russia alliance. It's new. I think the best thing is what President Biden has consistently said, which is our allies are the coin of the realm for us. They don't have allies, so to say. We do. And we have allies that believe in a, a system that's based on rules, not the raw exercise of power. Where I have allies that believe in the principle of freedom. And uh, I think it's telling that people around the world are coming to countries that believe in freedom. 
and peoples and countries and governments like Iran, North Korea, Russia, and China have people fleeing them. And we sometimes in the West, in the United States, take for granted these freedoms. They're not free, as you know. And we forget how seductive freedom is. People are, we have a challenge on immigration and refugees. That's also true in Europe. But people are coming to our country because of the freedom and opportunity. They are fleeing repressive regimes. So should we be concerned about it? Yes, because it's an attack, and they're very upfront about it, an attack on the very things that we hold dear. Freedom, rule of law, opportunity for others, and we have to work on those all the time. We're not great at it. We miss it a lot of times, but we have something that people want, and we take it to sometimes too often for granted, and we forget how much other people don't have it, want to be part of what we have. And I think it's a telling sign just that people in St. Petersburg and Moscow are trying to get out. People in Beijing, Shanghai are trying to get out. People in Tehran are being arrested, are fighting for freedom, are trying to get out. Here, people want to come to our country, want to come to Europe, want to come to the West, want to come to Japan because of the freedom, the opportunity, and the sense of the rule of law, not the rule of one person. And we have, we're not perfect, we're not perfect, we're not perfect at this. We have work to do to uh, improve the relationship between our ideals and our reality of those. That said, it's, these are very, very powerful values that people will suffer to be a part of and, and have go through great sacrifice to join. And we sometimes and I, forget that. In a, in a recent podcast with Ryan Liz of Politico, which I thought was fascinating, you argued <laughs> that it is better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. And that's been your principle in Japan. What exactly did you mean by that? I don't know. It sounded kind of cute. No. <laughs> well, because, you know, too uh, look, uh, too often, um, and I'll uh, give an example of this. One is, is too often uh, people would prefer not to take a risk um, uh, and make and kind of get something done versus taking that risk that you could fail, but having made a difference. So I will tell you a class, uh, an example of that. Uh, I got there, as I told you, in January to, uh, 19th around 2022. The war started in February 24th, 2022. So basically, I'm there in one month. Right after, about a week, two weeks after the war started, the, on a Friday, the Ukrainian ambassador to Japan was speaking at the International Press Club, like at 10.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. The following Monday, the Russian ambassador to Japan was supposed to speak. He rescheduled himself to immediately follow the um, Ukrainian ambassador. So we have a nine o'clock. Uh, so he would follow, it would be 1030 and let's say 12 o'clock or one o'clock. So I had an executive meeting. I said to, uh, and I've been there, call it six weeks, two months, but not longer. I said, what do you think about this? What, what, you know, what do you, they go, what do you mean? I go, well, what do you think about the Russian guy going right after the Ukrainian guy? 
And they said, well, we, we can send somebody to tape it. And I said, no, 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 no. Call up the International Press Club and tell them I'm going to come over immediately following the Russian ambassador. I'm not letting him get the last word. We're going to go give a speech and we're going to go answer questions. They, well, there was no speech written that day. They said, well, we have to clear speeches. We have to, we have to ask for permission from the state. I said, no. We know where we stand as a country on this war. We know the basic questions. And we're going to go give a speech on behalf of why the United States and the West is going to stand behind Ukraine. Now, if I wanted to draw within the lines, we would have waited for an approval. We would have set text back, gotten edits. We would have uh, uh, waited and tried to prepare what we thought the questions were, get the answers. And that's not, it's not just basically not rapid fire. I'm not leaving in a very, uh, this is two weeks when the, after the war started, the Russian getting the last word as it relates to what's happening uh, on the uh, cities and countryside of Ukraine, where I would like the record, my father's family's from. And so that I didn't ask for approval. Now, a lot of people in the State Department, career people, I think at the, at the embassy were a little surprised but I, it turned out, fast forward, gave an answer to a question and stuff like that. Not only did that go social media-wise viral, the State Department's media office put it up on the State Department website as an example. It was basically about freedom and why, and allies and why we have friends and they don't have friends. But if I had sat and waited for uh, approval, I probably still would be waiting right about now. I still wouldn't have given a speech. You live in a compound built for General Douglas MacArthur. What is that like? You and Amy are li literally living a regal lifestyle. Well, first of all, yeah, well, first of all, I want a little, little fact. It, it was the first embassy residence built for an ambassador, 1931. MacArthur doesn't come there till after the war, which is 45. It is, and it's done by uh, the architect is Anton... I'm forgetting his last name, but he worked with Frank Lloyd Wright. It, uh, the first embassy falls down in the 20s during the earthquake. This gets built. It's our first kind of embassy residence for an ambassador, 1931. MacArthur comes here after the war. It's, um, I mean, the first floor is what's called the representational floor. There's a library, a kitchen, two dining areas, a big uh, room actually where Hillary Clinton was last week and we did a fireside chat with the um, diplomatic corps and members of the uh, parliament in uh, Japan uh, and it is in that room it's kind of a big room high ceilings fireplace wood ceilings with gold uh, leaf painting it's in that room that General MacArthur receives and meets uh, the emperor after the war uh, uh, and it's a historic meeting because it also uh, deals with the emperor and the dynasty and their permanent st uh, status in Japan. Um, and so there's a lot of history. I joke sometimes because we're upstairs in the residential part and that you hear these sounds at night. And it's like, I, it's like I'm thinking Robin Williams is on a horse riding through, you know, night at the museum because it's so historic <laughs> there's you know you hear these sounds downstairs it's like i know there's little guys running around <laughs> it's like a museum you know it's not a museum but the downstairs is a representational it's called upstairs we live in a corner and down the hall 
There's a number of rooms named after great Americans like Senator Mansfield, who was an ambassador to Japan. Senator, he was a majority leader. There's a room. But, it, but it's going to be hard to give up that lifestyle, isn't it? Come back home well, to Chicago on, on <laughs> your street. In let me say, Larry. Well, that's still home. So it's that. And let me say this. Uh, first of all, General MacArthur did live, and he has a room at the other end of the uh, uh, of the house. That's where he stayed. So that's historic. Um, it, it, it. Let me say this: If you're going to live in public housing, that's the way to go. Okay. <laughs> but uh, seriously, uh, it will be hard to give that up, and you're about to have to give it up because after course. Biden's first term, you have to. He changes yeah. people, right? right? Well, the learn well, that's the the his the his you serve the term of the president, right. so that is correct. So, second thing is, you know, friend, it will be hard. On the other hand, it uh, that's not what I'm looking at. Is it's a great experience. It's something that's you know, I, I think you and I have known each other from being mayor to chief of staff to President Obama to Congress to President Clinton's senior advisor. I've had great jobs to do. Uh, great things, put your thumb on the scales of history and tip them. Um, and to find another one at this point in my life that also is intellectually and emotionally. And what would that be? What would that be? Will we, will Wait, we see Hold you on, Fran, 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 I'm in the middle of a very emotional answer here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Go ahead. I know, I, but I, here's the thing. They come to an end. And the question isn't, will it be hard to move back to your home? No, that's home. The question is, what, will I have done something in the three years that have enhanced, Amer in this case, America's relationship with Japan and America's security? And uh, our work is not done. Uh, it will be both welcoming to come home, but it will also be hard because we have, have, have friends, built up friends. One of the things, let me just say this, nobody um, uh, told me this, um, and uh, it's um, the, um, you have this diplomatic um, uh, situation where you have built in community, other diplomats, and we have met really, really wonderful people. And uh, the, um, an example of this, there was a uh, couple, Belgium, we got, we got become friends, she went on uh, to a new posting. She just emailed me the other day, just asking how I was, given she knows uh, about Israel and my and, uh, family connection. She was telling me about her life. I didn't know her before. I didn't know Roxanne. And we've become friends. And the same thing about the Swedish couple and the ambassador, the same thing about the Israeli ambassador. And you have this network of people from around the globe who like, you know, were like us, away from their home country, away from their home, uh, away from their families. And yet you build, um, because of, you know, you're kind of in a different country, you build these friendships that I've now, not only I've gotten to experience a culture in a country I never would have had at this level, and also begin to have lifelong friends I never would have had the opportunity to. And but what is, what is, what is ACT? Act 75 going to be for Rahm Emanuel at age 63. As you come home, would you like to run for governor again? Uh, like to run for governor for the first time? Would you like to run for senator? Will you ever run for public office again? Or do you want another cabinet post that may be the one you really wanted, commerce or transportation in a second 
uh, if Biden were to be reelected? No, no idea, no answer. Uh, well, you know, I got a year uh, in this job, and my, I've got to be honest, friend, my entire uh, energy, given all that's going on in the world, focus on this job. Uh, opportunities will happen if I, I still have a, a love for public service. There's many different ways to do it. I've done it elected. I've done it appointed. Um, that said, um, got to be honest, I'm really 100% make sure that the next 14 months I, make, I squeeze as much pulp out of the uh, uh, lemon as I can. And you know what? One of the things that people don't know about you, I think, and, and it's a misnomer, is that you had this reputation as a hard to get along with, hard nosed, foul mouthed politician. But you came to Chicago, you built relationships with all of the aldermen. When you left, they were really, really, really sad to see you go. Has that same personal touch in politics helped you over there? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, as you you recorded the that last city council, and I, you know, as an example, not only the relationships but the friendships and then trust you built. Never lost a single vote as mayor. Yeah, I have done. I and I and I, you know, I've kind of let me. I've done this twist on Tip O'Neill's, which is correct. All politics is local. All politics is personal. Yeah, and my first. Uh, times there, I made a very particular effort uh, through both the government and non-government to get to know people and have them get to know me. I think those experiences and that level of familiarity and trust that you could rely on me, not just to deliver, but also to tell you the truth, has served America uh, and the president's agenda. We have done three to four things that everybody said one of them could never get done. Japan, on their own, sovereign nation, decided to increase their defense budget from 1% of GDP to 2%. Nobody thought that was possible. Um, it's now going to become the third largest defense budget in the world after the United States and China. They have acquired counter-state capabilities, things, again, nobody thought was possible produced and helped create a context for a historic trilateral meetings at Camp David. Again, one of the things that everybody said could not get done. And so, uh, and my role is, uh, and again, these are sovereign decisions by Japan, but as the interlocker for the United States and given its relationship with Japan, you know, we played the role we're supposed to play. And I do think if there's a level of trust and I think this, even when we were negotiating all the things I've done, not just mayor, Congress, et cetera, uh, and chief of staff. Once you have that trust, there's things, and trust means also sometimes saying, no, I can't do that, and here's the reason, and you got to believe that and stuff. But you, it serves, uh, it comes, it's a, a political and personal capital that is invaluable uh, to getting things done. And being able to make things happen and uh when the chips are down in the end of the day what you have is your uh you know your reputation your character and that and the, whether people that didn't know you before can trust you and i was dealing with a mini crisis last night and because of that last 
basically 20 months, people could, when I could say things, and I was interacting between the United States and Japan on a particular thing, they can trust you because they know of your veracity. Rahm Emanuel, thank you so much for joining us. We yeah. could talk forever about the world, about Chicago, mm -hmm. about Washington. Uh, yeah. You have so much experience, so much yeah. wealth of knowledge. But I wish you the very best of luck in your final you. year uh, as ambassador. And we will look with anticipation to see where you land next. <laughs> It'll be at my, maybe I'll start podcasting. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and ride with me. That's fine with me, too. That'll right, be fascinating, right. too. Thanks for taking the time. And we will see you all next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.